Hello and welcome to another episode of For What It's Worth. I'm Evan Lucas, InvestMart's Chief Market Strategist. Joining me in the hot seat this week is the fantastic Sophie Ellsworth, the National Personal Finance Editor at News Corp. Sophie, welcome to the program. Into the last week of the election, and I think that's probably a good place to start after the announcement at the coalition launch over the weekend around particularly the first owner grant, as they're calling it, or subsidy package. I don't know what you want to sort of say behind it, but um, within sort of less than 24 hours, I think it was in 12 hours, the Labor Party matched it. So it's half a billion, so $500 million backing the first homeowners, that those that don't have up to 20% deposit, those on a singles earning up to 125000 couples to 200000 will get a guarantee effectively from the government, whoever wins, so from the government, on Saturday going forward. Starting with you on that, because I think your listeners are quite interesting on that. You, you very much write from the personal side. Good, bad idea? Look, anything that helps first-home buyers hopefully is a good thing. It's not always a good thing, though, because you introduce these types of schemes and then you get more people being able to come into the market that otherwise wouldn't, could push up prices. The thing that I think that is a positive out of this is that first-home buyers won't have to pay lender's mortgage insurance. Now, that's a really expensive charge. The lender's mortgage insurers get very narky when you ask them for figures on how many claims have been made on LMI. It can add up to thousands of dollars for first-home buyers, sometimes more than $10,000 if they don't have a 20% deposit. Uh, on the negative side, though, the fact you're only stumping up 5% is a small amount <laughs> and you run the risk of running into negative equity, which, as we're seeing, is happening in some markets, particularly over in Perth it's happened, um, and in other cities, you know, even Melbourne, Sydney have had falls. So you run the risk of running into negative equity if you only stump up a f- small deposit and see the house price of your property fall. Yeah, that's filtering in already. So we've seen that from the three banks that have already reported. This week, in fact, on Monday, we saw CBA put out their numbers and they're, they're showing the same thing, that there is actually an increase in the overall delinquencies. It's, the interesting one is not in the short date. It's not in the th- what they call the 30-day delinquencies. It's actually going out to 90 days. So that is... That's a risk. And we're now talking around the idea that a government could be the guarantor rather than a private firm. Now, I completely agree with you that that is obviously a bonus. Not only that, it therefore means that instead of basically putting mortgage lenders insurance up for the bank to insure you, the government is doing it. But again, my point of view on all this, and the reason I actually think this is not a fantastic idea, it starts to move towards modern monetary theory, and that's a debate for another uh, for another day. But it also backs on the idea who in the regulatory environment of the government is actually going to guarantee, like, underwrite this? Who's actually going to assess that couple, particularly the one that you alluded to perfectly, which is the 5% holder? They are and unfortunately should be seen as an overall risk. They therefore need to be under the impression that if you're jumping into the property market, it is still a market. It is still going up, and that's what you're alluding to with regards to the negative equity in in Western Australia, and I'm pretty sure you'd probably be able to find the same thing going on in parts of Melbourne and Sydney, particularly in the apartment space. So it's it's an interesting one. The question, therefore, back to you getting to this is, does it buy votes? Does it actually work? I mean, it it doesn't matter now because it's been summed out, but if you were a first-home owned buyer or, sorry, a first-home owned looker, does it appeal to you or are you finding this as just an actual political grab? Well, look, when ScoMo came out yesterday and announced this, you know, this is a last-ditch attempt for him to try and win those younger voters over, which we know 
Labor has a lot of them looking at them with their climate change policies. So, But then Shorten came out a short time later, as you said, and matched it. So it really doesn't matter who gets in. This is going to be something that first-time buyers should see happen. Again, it goes back to first-time buyers should try and save up at least a 10% deposit, if not 20 ideally. Some lenders out there do offer loans where you can have a small uh, percentage saved up. But look, it's a, it is a vote grab, but it's not going to matter now because both parties are offering it. So, you know, I think if first-time buyers are looking to enter the market, save up at least a 10% deposit, I suggest. Um, and the quicker you pay down that home loan, the better off you're going to be anyway. Yeah, and look, so moving away from that, because I think you're much better at talking about personal finance than I am, um, and I completely agree. I, I think you need to understand that a house – is a very good investment long term. I get all that. It's obviously bricks and mortar, and, and but it is still there is a risk to it. And I think ten percent should be your absolute minimum anyway, because you, you do need to understand that you know if you are looking at the average house price across the country, you're probably looking at half a million, maybe towards five fifty. So your ten percent, you're needing to be stomping up around about fifty grand or more. And what people also forget is the issues of stamp duty um, and all this kind of stuff, the conveyancing fees, they're all on top. So your 10% is actually more likely 8% once you start factoring in the cost of stamp duty, which is 7% of the total value and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's one part of it. From my point of view and getting back to the market idea that I'll obviously look at is the owner-occupier, particularly the first owner part of the market, is actually doing very, very well. So the data came out this week, the home loan data is – Again, showing very clearly that first homeowners are actually at a almost a two-decade high. So they're, they're just under it. It's over a decade. It's not hitting the two-year. But that is very, very strong. And occupier is also on the way up. Investor loans, however, are plummeting. So they're down at the lowest levels in 12 years. And if you have a look at the cumulative value of home loans, they're sitting at $9.5 billion. Now, the top of the market back in 2017 was almost double. So we are seeing a huge change in that sort of movement. It also shows you that the economy is clearly playing out on your overall wealth effect, those negative values that you're talking about before, which then also spreads into this next part is is using housing as a way of, again, on the political sphere, the right idea. Because I want to move on a little bit further and move to the next part of the question that comes from the political sphere. And I know this is really quite close to your readership, particularly with what you do. The impact of franking the impact and change and proposed changes to CGT from the Labor Party. Now, let's assume that they do get in. It looks pretty likely. It doesn't look as strong as probably what was five weeks ago, so they're probably going to win ugly. So I'll come to that part in a minute. Let's just say right here and now they get in, they get the Senate, and they're going to pass what they've proposed. How much of an effect is it having on your readership and what you take out of this? Well, the franking credits is one that's really upset retirees and rightly so. I mean, these are people who have set themselves up relying on franking credits and to have that ripped out from underneath them is devastating. You know, some of them are relying on this income every year. So um, I think, you know, saying that this will get, you know, if this gets through and goes through the Senate, there's a lot of ifs there, Evan, and, you know, the Senate's going to be messy. So I don't think we can just... I know we're looking at if it does happen, but that's also a bit of uh, reassurance, I guess, for these people relying on franking credits that it's got to get through the Senate and it may not. So, you know, all is not lost yet, but, um, you know, really devastating for people who have relied on this and to be told, you know, see you later. 
So what do we say to those to sort of the, the pinpoint from that is the argument comes back at them that they should be drawing down on their savings. So that super balance, half a million for argument's sake, the argument comes straight back at them that, hang on, actually, you should be drawing down on this. You take on that. Look, it depends, you know, each person, what they do have and, and their financial situation, you know, what do they have in their kitty? Um, are they able to do that? Uh, you know, Bill Shorten's defence to this policy is that it's something that is economically unviable and they can't sustain it and that's why they're getting rid of it. But, you know, I wrote in my column today in the Herald Sun saying that, you know, a situation, this is a, an analogy, but one that if, you know, politicians were told that their parliamentary pension was going, no more, they'd be pretty shattered. And, you know, put it put themselves in these retirees' situation. They're being told effectively a portion of their income is going. Goodbye, you know, non-negotiable, it's out the door. That's shattering for these people. You know, a lot of them are in retirement. If they have got income that they can draw down, down on, great. But depends where they are. Maybe they don't have that. You know, everyone's financial situation will be different. So it's a case-by-case, case, I guess. But, you know, maybe it will come – to fruition this but whether it comes to fruition in this actual sense we'll you know we'll have to wait and see hold that thought we'll come back and discuss that more in a minute introducing investments ethical share fund INES an active ETF to be listed on the ASX designed for investors seeking Australian listed companies that produce sustainable profits InvestSmart is proud to offer INES as it aligns with our pragmatic approach to value investing. It also provides an overlay that screens for sustainability, social and environmental impacts. The INES initial public offer is now open. To find out more about how INES works or download a PDS, please go to investsmart.com.au. So before the break, Sophie, we're obviously talking around the current setup of the proposed changes, particularly to franking. It's certainly something that, that is a big effector of the clients that we have here. It's certainly a big, big headwind issue for a lot of people in the market for obvious reasons. So what I probably will look at now is that it's clear, judging by the polls that you write, as you were talking about before the break, that the Senate is going to probably be quite messy. Uh, the ability to actually get through probably current proposed policy is, is it's going to be quite minimal. Now, from my point of view, my most likely outcome from all of this, it will happen. I think that needs to be given uh, as, as a done. What I think there will be concessions in is there will be a capped program. So it's more likely instead of completely, as you said, cutting off, it'll be, okay, you can get franking credits imputations back to you up to a certain level. 25 grand is the one that's bandied around quite a lot. Uh, it's certainly sounds a lot of adverted commas fairer in terms of that space it certainly eats into their overall spending issue in terms of the savings goes from around about what is it 6.1 6.2 billion dollars to talk about i think it brings it down to about five so there's a reasonable chunk out of what they're doing do you even see that getting through do you actually see that being something that people can swallow as well look you know i guess they just have to live with whatever the decision is that is made before them but you know, the idea of this was to get people off the pension and make them self-funded so that they've got their income streams and, 
you know, taxpayers do not have to worry about them. Now, who knows what will happen to some of these people and whether they do actually need to uh, consider actually trying to get part pension as a result of having this stripped away. So there's lots of ifs and buts here, uh, but, you know, it, it was set up for them and it's been taken away. So there's no doubt this is one issue that Bill Shorten's lost out on. He will lose a lot of votes on this, but there's a lot of people out there, Evan, who don't even know what franking credits are. So they'll be, not, you know, none the wiser and they won't care about this. But there is a lot of the older population that are extremely worried. Yeah, because obviously it's an income stream. It's a, it's a way of actually, as you said, giving yourself a retirement. I mean, when we discuss this before and we've talked about this many, many times, it's the interesting thing around it is the selling factor of it, the way it's being sold. It's either been termed a gift or a handout. Um, it's an interesting one because – if you want to drill it down to a very, very specific thing, now some people will pull me up on this, but remember a franking credit is the fact that you have a company has actually paid tax on profit, which they then as a business owner, because that's what you are as a shareholder, a business, a part business owner of that company, that company has paid tax and if you are therefore in retirement phase, your tax rate is zero, not 30% and that's where this comes about is that the, actually your income should not be taxed and your income comes from your ownership in, in firms. So that's how an investment works. And, that, and that's why it's hard to argue the gift factor um, in terms of that space. You are getting a net yield, which is the other thing around this, is that it goes from a grossed up position to just a net position. The one thing that we've already noticed on this fact, and we were also discussing this, is that clients are already making investment decisions based off the idea the Labor Party will get in and are moving into products or investments that don't have franking. So we have just seen the best quarter in uh, pretty much in the last seven years in infrastructure and property. And most of those listed firms in that space, I'm not going to list them because I don't need to, but most of them are not what we call incorporated firms. They're trusts uh, and therefore they don't have the franking overlay. Not as high a yield, but it's certainly been a movement and it's certainly one that I think you, you're going to go forward. And that that's the interesting part out of all of this is savings. And savings has been a question of who's saving what and where. And that brings me to probably the, the next question is the savings question is now the one that's also possibly put out about what's happened in the last couple of weeks also. We're talking about the political sphere. The other side of politics is monetary policy rather than fiscal policy. The RBA didn't cut rates last week. A lot of people are talking about the fact that inflation in this country is pretty poor. The question that came out of it all and the side of it that I know you're very interested in is savings rates, turn deposits, simple money market products. They're the ones that are sort of sitting here on the sidelines with their hands slightly up going, hang on, what, what about what about us? Because uh, we could be looking at if we do see cuts and it still looks very likely that we will, savings rates in this country could be 1% something or even as low as 0% something. How does – how does a retiree, how does a net saver saving for the house that we discussed at the start of the program get around that scenario? Yeah, that's shocking. I mean, some of the rates when I look at them, Evan, they are less than 1% uh, and a lot of them come with terms and conditions. A lot of them are honeymoon rates. The best savings rates I was just looking at it recently are around 3%, which is still really low. That's pretty good in this environment. It, it, it's good, but there's um, – yeah, Didn't say it's great. It's not great. But um, that's as good as it's going to get. Now, I remember when I was saving for my house deposit years ago, I was looking at uh, interest rates around 7% savings, which was fantastic. 
you know, if you're saving for a house deposit, forget about it, keeping cash in the bank. If you want a decent return, you're going to look elsewhere. So that's when people... That point there, I want to pick you up on that mm. because that's that's the catch to this. Mm. I think that point is absolutely poignant that some people forget about what a term deposit actually does. Term deposit is the bank offering you the ability to not only have your money grow, but it's you're giving your money to the bank. The bank then takes your money and lends it out and they put a margin on it, net interest margins, to then your home loan, my home loan, so that I can go to the bank and borrow it off them. This is the other catch to this is that if we do see savings, as you've just been pointing out there, if we saw savings drop right away and they do go elsewhere, the bank has a problem. And that's the next part of this debate. Sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going back with your answer. But um, savings are the interesting question because it's a but much bigger problem than what people sort of probably work out. It is a really big problem. And look, when I'm writing stories, we're always talking about mortgage interest rates. Yeah. It's always the topic of conversation. It makes headlines in the papers. But we can't forget about retirees again on the back of just chatting about franking credits. People who are relying on these returns, you know, people in the conservative uh stages of their life, you know, they've got their money tucked in the bank in a term deposit or an online saver, um, you know, they've really got to weigh up, is it even worth it? And now, I mean, we saw the other day with RBA, we've looked at inflation, cash rates not moving, inflation zero. I mean, things aren't great if you've got your cash in the bank. So the banks do have a problem if savers pick that cash up and take it elsewhere. Yeah, well, it's been very sticky for a long, long time. And, and, it's still unlikely to really shift, shift. But uh, if you saw a 10% decline in, in bank funding going from where it currently is in retail, for retail clients to pull it out, maybe put it back into shares and or put it into high-yielding bonds overseas even, um, you are going to have that that catch. And that's you've heard that already from NAB um, in terms of what they look at. They're quite worried about this. They've actually pointed out saying actually a reduction in the cash rate could end up being a, a painful ex- experience for all and sundry in that, yes, all of a sudden money goes out, we have to go to the wholesale market and the idea of this, as you alluded to very correctly, we always talk around the mortgage holder's position. The mortgage holders won't actually get a reduction anyway because the overall funding cost of the bank actually probably ends up holding the line rather than the 50 basis points or 25 basis points, whatever it is, comes out of the cash rate. That doesn't filter through. So the economy in the end doesn't get the kick because your ability to spend as a homeowner doesn't really improve. In fact, technically, it probably gets worse because the savers now don't have as much disposable income, inverted commas, because I'd argue that they don't have a huge amount anyway, goes out as well. And that's that's where this push-pull fact, we've never had a scenario in this country where rates are as low as they are, historic lows. They're going to go to new historic lows. We're going to have historic lows in savings. That's also a given. That's, that's going to happen. So the argument around all this is getting quite large in terms of how it actually plays out for you and i think that's why what happens this week on saturday will be very interesting not just from an electioning point of view and who ends up in camera but how savings go over the last couple of years have now probably going to filter into problems going down the road and i don't think either party has a side on it just to finish off on the last question i've probably got for you staying on that saving staying on the overall sort of positioning right now if you were to walk into canberra and i know they'll put you on the spot with this question scary yeah if you were to walk into canberra right now how would you look at the overall economy and what would you do for the average person to actually benefit right now after what we've just discussed 
Look, I guess the big thing that ScoMo's been able to beat his chest about is that we will be back in surplus next year. So that's a good thing. Um, I think sadly, though, a lot of Australians don't care that we're in debt. They don't. That doesn't worry them. They worry about their household hip pocket. People out there are concerned, Evan, about their cost of living. That's a massive issue and has been an issue in this election. They're worried about their hip pocket. You know, if, if they're building new roads or there's infrastructure going up, they're not too worried about that. It's what impacts them at home. Our petrol prices going up as an example. So to have policies come out in the election, such as the, you know, investors being hit with negative gearing changes, capital gains tax reductions, uh, you know, for people who are trying to set themselves up and get ahead, those types of things hit hard. So I guess those politicians in Canberra just need to think about the mums and dads in the burbs who are doing their best. They've had no wage growth for many years. Yes, we are in um, low interest rate environment, but our costs in some cases are going up. Uh, but on the flip side, we've got zero inflation. So there's quite a lot going on. I think the election result will be very important. We know that, you know, it, it's, I guess, fair to say that Labor do like to spend and the Liberals are more conservative. So people are concerned over, you know, when the politicians get into power, how much money they are spending, ultimately that hits the taxpayer being you. So, you know, it's a, it's a stressful time for households, but I guess time will tell and we'll see what happens on Saturday. We will indeed. Sophie, thank you very much for joining us on the program. Thanks, Evan. Go Blues. That's all for this week. If you're interested in finding out more about InvestMart, where you'll find all of our previous episodes, as well as Alan Collar's weekend briefing, thoughts from Australia's best financial commentators, as well as our brand new ethical share fund offering Innis, please head to investmart.com.au. InvestMart, let's make wealth happen.